How you doing? You okay? How's it going? How you feeling today? Welcome to South Defined, the podcast from Right Track Medical Group dedicated to destigmatizing mental health in the South through genuine conversation about the challenges that we all face every day. For more information, please visit our website, righttrackmedical.com backslash South Defined. Well, we hope you enjoy listening to our podcast. Please remember that this is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or for the treatment of any mental health condition. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for the first episode of South of Fine. I'm your host, Reese Lau. And while I'm not the least bit qualified to provide advice on mental health, I I have spent 20 years of my life studying human nature as an actor and writer, and I love the exploration of how life's ups and downs, large or small, can influence the mind. Things like physical, such as ailments, handicaps, surgery, or our families, the culture, all of these can affect our mental health in a positive or a negative way, or sometimes both. And here, I get to pick the brains of actual mental health professionals that can help me and you get a better understanding of all this. In regard to tragedy or just simple daily struggles, as Southerners, we always like to say things like, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or just be strong, or one of my favorites, just muscle through it. But sometimes that just doesn't work. When our team first started dreaming up this podcast, our goal was to discuss just that, a wide range of mental health issues folks struggle with on a daily basis while confronting the economic and cultural barriers that keep many of us, especially in the South, from actually seeking help. However, (laughs) the world has changed dramatically since we first began planning this thing. COVID-19 has created a new normal, like it or not. It has become plain to see that, um, that this pandemic is taking a toll not only on our physical safety, but even more so our mental well-being. According to a recent study by the Kaiser Family Foundation, nearly 50% of adults say coronavirus has negatively affected them mentally. Individuals who might otherwise describe themselves as mentally healthy are now dealing with feelings of anxiety and stress and massive depression, while those with existing conditions are frankly just getting worse. Our thoughts are now dominated by concerns for the safety of ourselves and, of course, our loved ones. We've got the stress of homeschooling. I know that one firsthand. I've got four kids at home. The loneliness that we experienced or we are experiencing for those of us that are still in isolation. And then there's social distancing. At the beginning of all this, my father passed away and we had to have a funeral. And a lot of it almost got overshadowed by how do we social distance at a funeral? This was before everything was shut down, of course. The grief of what we have had to miss or give up. Think about all those high school and college seniors that you know. They missed out on not only the pop and circumstance of graduation, but also, more importantly, probably the social celebration with their friends throughout the last semester of college or high school, ever. And now they're entering a job market that is basically just a mess. And then as adults, we we fear for our jobs, just the uncertainty of everything. No one has a clear view of the future or can even make an educated guess because things change so dramatically from day to day. And now, as things are opening up, that presents us with a whole new level of concern and uncertainty, new new highs and lows. So, like we all say these days, we're pivoting. 
Our first episodes will delve into the mental health crisis that COVID-19 is creating. And we're starting with the level set and even playing field, a sort of state of the state of mental health in the time of COVID. Our guests today are Dr. Catherine Pennell, Medical Director of Right Track Medical Group, and Taryn Cooper, Coordinator of Best Practices at Right Track Medical Group. They are joining us remotely from Right Track Medical Group's office in Oxford, Mississippi. Catherine and Taryn, thank you guys so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. We're excited. So uh, I think it's time, I think that we want to begin this discussion with a little bit of context. Um, Before COVID-19 was a term in all of our vocabularies, how would you have described, this is to either of you, how how would you have described the state of mental health in the United States and in particular uh, the South? Um, I think if you can sum it up into one word, um, I I would say abysmal. Yeah, you know, we know that nearly one in five adults live with mental illness, and that's and that's nearly twenty percent. And so, uh, most of those people, I mean, less than half of those people are actually receiving services for their mental health. Does it have to do with economic and cultural uh, stigma? In the South, there's a huge cultural stigma. Um, I mean, I, I think even as a kid, I kind of recognized it. I know my grandmother, um, she would take Valium um, and she would always say that it was for her inner ear. She was dizzy, but there was no doubt that she was taking it for her anxiety. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom with children and she was taking it for her anxiety. But, you know, I look back and laugh now, but it, it, it is a little bit sad that she was fearful to admit that she was having anxiety and she even was too scared to admit it to her primary care physician at that time. Um, she would just always say that it was her inner ear. And we, we, we know she didn't have any problems with her ears. So. Yeah, so that's, and that's related to like postpartum depression. I mean, people didn't talk about that for years in the South. That's right. Um, and, and maybe why we're such a, uh, we enjoy our cocktails in the South. Yeah. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> our time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, moving on to, what we're in now. So how would you describe the state of mental health now in the midst of COVID? Yeah, just from what I'm hearing, people are not doing well. Um, And if you've been listening to the news at all, they've been talking a lot about um, just predicting there to be increases of post-traumatic stress disorder from all of this. And I believe that that's going to be true. Um, People with anxiety and depression have elevated levels of anxiety and depression right now. And really what is happening in our country is traumatic. And I think those people who um, maybe were coping with anxiety or depression in various ways, a a lot of those coping mechanisms have actually been taken away because so many of us are having to social distance right now. Yeah, I think um, even at one time in the state of Tennessee, there were actually more cases of suicide than there were actually cases of COVID. Um, We have seen that there has actually been an increase in suicide rates up to 40% right now. Oh, my gosh. The the coping mechanisms is an interesting interesting topic to me um, in that I don't think most of us are equipped or have coping mechanisms. As I said in the beginning... I, as an actor and a writer, I studied human nature for years and I'm very open about my faults, my, you know, not that I'm the healthiest person in the world, but on the whole, does the population have an understanding of what a coping mechanism is? I don't know that they realize some of the positive things that they do are coping mechanisms, but I think you can definitely realize, and, and it's obvious when they are not there, that's when you start struggling. And 
this whole pandemic has put coping skills on the forefront because some of our coping skills that we normally do that are healthy, that we may not realize are coping skills, we can't do right now because we are socially distancing and we're isolating. Um, going out with friends, spending time with friends, that is a healthy coping mechanism. And we can't do that right now. Yeah, great. Go ahead, Taryn. Yeah, I would say too, you know, we might, like Dr. Catherine uh, panel said, we might not know what a coping mechanism is or be able to label it, but we're definitely doing some of those things, even um, the negative coping mechanisms. You know, we're potentially drinking more, potentially eating more, um, binge watching Netflix, you know, Mm -hmm. doing anything to help us feel better right now or cope with the changes that are taking place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I see several posts on Facebook's. Uh, on Facebook with a lot of, um, especially women saying that they have now gained the COVID-15. It's no longer the freshman 15. It's the COVID-15. So, <laughs> I've seen yeah. that too. Yeah. 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 I was Zooming with some old friends the other day and the bulk of the conversation was about how we'd all put on the COVID-25. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you guys think that the country's mental health care system is prepared to deal with all of this long-term, uh, the long-term effects that we're discussing? No, no. Um, and back to your very first question, when you asked me the state of the mental health care system in our country, and I gave you the word abysmal, it, it, we were in a health care crisis before this began. There are lack of good, adequate, quality outpatient treatment facilities. Um, I know in Mississippi alone, we have a federal lawsuit um, that basically they have said, Mississippi, get it together. Your outpatient services are not what they should be. We've been giving you money and they're still not there. And y'all are over hospitalizing patients way too much. And, you know, they've given us a time frame. They slapped us with a fine. I don't know how much clearer it can be that Mississippi's health, uh, mental health care system is in shambles. And we've got to fix it now because uh, the services are only going to exponentially be needed more because of this pandemic. The, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Taryn. Oh, I was just going to add, you know, I, I heard a stat that said um, 60% of U.S. counties don't even have a single practicing psychiatrist. So that means, you know, people who live in those counties, they're having to drive outside of their counties to even get any help, um, oh, yeah. have an assessment done. Every single Monday, I drive one and a half to two hours one way to go to Wynonna, Mississippi, one of the most rural places in Mississippi, just to provide psychiatric services there. And because there's not enough in Mississippi, there are just not enough of us. What was that stat again, Taryn? 60% of U.S. counties. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which I bet it's even more in Mississippi. I bet we're on the higher end of that. Catherine, do you think that And you may not want to answer this. And if you do answer it and it's political, we'll cut it out. (laughs) But um, do you think that outside of what we've already discussed, this, the economic and social and cultural stigma, like what what is causing Mississippi to be so far behind in that sense? You know, I think mental health care, because of the stigma and because people are scared of mental illness, they're scared of people that have it, they're scared of if they will get it. And that's all because of lack of education. We get fearful of things that we don't understand or that we don't have education about. And I think we're just behind. I think even in the legislature, it just kind of gets overlooked because it makes us uncomfortable to think about it. It it gives us fear because we don't have an understanding of it. So we we definitely have a big game of catch up to play here in Mississippi. I I still have a stigma as a man from the South. No, I can do it. Mm -hmm. I can, I can fix this myself. I don't need to go talk to anybody. I'm good. Or uh, let me push it down. I'm recognizing I'm pushing it down, but 
and recognizing that's unhealthy, but guess what? I'm pushing it down. Exactly. Um, yeah. Good point. So on an individual level, how is, how is COVID-19 uh, affecting people? Yeah. I mean, I think, so I'm a marriage and family therapist in training. And so, um, you know, I'm looking at families and, and I'm noticing that families are a lot more irritable. Um, there's higher anxiety within the home right now um, because families aren't used to spending as much time together as they currently are. This is all just part of a normal part of being around to each around each other more and adjusting. But, um, you know, if we don't have those positive coping mechanisms like we were talking about earlier, I think we're going to see a lot more um, families lashing out at each other, a lot more conflict. Um, I'm just thinking about, you know, what this is going to do to relationships, you know, moving forward. And then I'm thinking about the families too, who, um, those environments for them are already toxic, you know, and they're stuck with those family members. I mean, people who have, um, they're in domestic violence situations or abusive homes. I'm thinking about kids who really the only outlet for them is to go to school every day and they can't do that right now. So, I mean, we're going to see, um, kids coming out of this who, um, are really going to have some PTSD from from being home and not having those positive figures in their lives. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm the Debbie Downer of this podcast right now. But um, <laughs> no, we've already started seeing an increase in domestic violence, and that is going all the way from children to the elderly. Think about caregivers that are stuck with their 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 elderly parents that they're the hundred percent caregiver all the time. They don't have an outlet, and I mean, it, you're Taryn's right. It just increases stress, and it really brings out the unhealthy coping skills. And unfortunately, we're just seeing a really drastic increase in domestic violence, unfortunately. I think the long-term mental health situation we're looking at is a, is a secondary crisis. Yeah, I think that we are finally um, at the peak, if not a little over the peak. We're flattening now with this whole COVID pandemic. And we would say that we're on the other side of it. I think we can safely agree that we are on the other side of the pandemic but we are just at the beginning of a mental health pandemic. We have not reached that surge um, and we've got to prepare for it. How do we prepare for that? Is that a too broad of a question? No. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, those healthy coping. Go ahead. Go ahead, Taryn. No, you go ahead. Nope. Taryn, all you. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, no, I was going to say, you know, for the mental health professionals out there, I think just knowing that it's coming is helpful. Um, I think a lot of us have already started to, you know, take action to prepare ourselves um, by offering telehealth so that we can kind of, you know, um, reduce the number of people who are coming after the fact. But we can we can get to people now from their own homes. And as long as we can do that, we can attempt to make it a little bit easier for us in the future. Yeah. And that's where things like this podcast really come into play, um, going ahead and educating the population about things like healthy coping mechanisms or where they can get access to mental health care. Putting those things all into place right now and really just getting out there and educating the public is what is how we're going to prepare for it. Having That's where the COVID pandemic really hit us hard. We weren't prepared. It was fast. It hit us hard. We didn't know what to do. We were unprepared. But we know that this is coming as far as the mental health pandemic, and we can start preparing now. Yes, absolutely. That's that's great, guys. Um, so moving on to grief. Um, how is the grief over what has changed and what we have lost? Not, not necessarily the people, but 
like our way of life, our events, et cetera, how is that adding to our mental health struggle? We may have discussed that a little bit, but more in depth, I think, is what we, we'd like to hear. Yeah, I think, you know, we see people are struggling with creating new rituals and routines around their day-to-day lives. And I think that's where the grief really sets in. Um, You know, people, kids were used to getting up and going to school every day, you know, mom and dad or whoever would pick them up and then they would, you know, maybe spend some time together in the evening. But right now we don't have that structure. And so we almost lose sense of time, right? I mean, how many of us are like, I don't even know what day it is anymore because I'm not getting up and doing my normal day-to-day thing or going to work or taking the kids to school. And so um, we're really, those big events in life that are marked by the everyday, but then the seasons of life, we're missing those. And we see grief in big events like graduation. We see grief in Um, you know, even just high school proms, you know, how many girls are excited about picking out that prom dress and going, you know, going to prom. Um, We've heard about events that, you know, kids have, they were introduced to their freshman year of high school, and now they're seniors, and now they don't get to do that. And so those stepping stones, which are like rites of passage for some of these people, um, we're missing out on those things. And there's definitely grief anytime something in our life changes like that. I mean, the rites of passage thing is how we, how we pinpoint where we've seen growth in our lives. And that pinpoint is off. I'm, once again, I said in the beginning, I'm not a medical professional, so <laughs> I use pinpoints. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I, I, from a personal standpoint, my uh, father passed away at the begin- very beginning of this. And my, my um, cousin's wife said, uh, most of the time when things like this happen, you have a death, you feel like the world stops, but it keeps moving on. And in this instance, the world actually stopped. And so now that things are opening back up, we're stepping out back, we're stepping back out into the world and real life is hitting us again. And all of a sudden the reality of this death is hitting uh, more so than it has before, because we really not ignore it, but we could pretend it wasn't there because no one was coming and telling us, Hey, how are you doing? Here's some food doing that Southern thing. Given, you know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah, you guys are in such an p- important position going forward through this thing. You guys mentioned that there would probably be a lot of PTSD uh, coming out of this. So can you, can we elaborate on that a little bit? You could probably do a whole podcast on PTSD because it's, it's, it's going to affect everyone from healthcare workers to the general population for different reasons. Um, I have a patient that actually recovered from COVID and he has legitimate PTSD that he is scared that he is going to get another round of this. So he, is, he was healthy before he got COVID, no underlying conditions. He was a runner. Um, he, he came to me with anxiety because he would go for a run. And even if he went three miles and got short of breath, which would probably be normal given that he was in the hospital, he was deconditioned. He thinks he's getting COVID again. So it affects those that have had COVID, those that have seen loved ones with COVID. Then it's, you look at the healthcare workers who have treated and they've seen people die from COVID. Um, the general population who was facing the social isolation and the depression they felt from that. Now we're hearing of a second surge, a second wave, and we're all of a sudden panicking again. Are we going to have to go through this again? And it brings up all those feelings again. I think it's going to affect everybody differently, but I think in some shape or form, PTSD is very prevalent. Yeah. And just to add to that, you know, um, I I think that people are going to show signs of PTSD just from, you know, 
even just the government not knowing how to respond, you know, and not to make this too political or anything, but, um, you know, this threw everybody off. We didn't expect it. And so, of course, you know, our government didn't necessarily know how to respond to it. And so I've heard from people who were like, I don't know if I can trust my government anymore. Or I don't know if I agree with what they're doing or they're doing this over here in this part of the world. And, um, I, you know, I just think that it's affected our ability to trust each other. And I think and just a response, a blanket response for all of that is just ensuring, comforting them and letting them know that because we've already gone through a first wave of this, the experts, the physicians, we all know the government, we all know so much more about this now that if Mm -hmm. that second wave is going to come, we are so much more prepared. And I think that is just a very important thing to continue to like harp on and really drive home because it provides comfort for anxiety, knowing that we are so much more prepared this is not going to be the surprise that it was starting in March. Exactly. Yeah. Great. So let's let's wrap this up, guys. Um, Taryn, let me start with you. I'm going to do a two-part question, but I, I want both of you guys to answer this, please. Um, so going forward, how can individuals take care of their mental health during this pandemic? And if they need help and aren't sure where to turn, where do you recommend they start? Yeah. You know, because we've lost so many of those connections, I would say the best way to take care of your mental health right now is to attempt to stay as connected as possible. That might mean that we have to be a little more creative, um, but there's a lot of really great technology out there that can help us do that. Or as we're starting to kind of come out of this and we can go out in public again, what does it look like to, you know, to, you know, from a, a safe distance, reconnect with those people that, you know, are really important in our lives or, you know, call someone up on the phone. As humans, we were made for connection. And that connection is actually what helps us um, build resiliency when stressful things occur, you know, when when we get sick, um, we're stronger and we're more resilient when we have people around us. And so I would say, you know, I would just ask people to ask themselves, who are those people for you? Who are those people that you know you can turn to who will be there if you pick up the phone and you need to call? Um, Who are those people? That's really important. And then, you know, secondly, if you don't know where to turn or you don't have those people in your life, um, there are a lot of really competent professionals out there and there are a lot of resources. And so even just doing a quick Google search, you can find providers online. You can go to our website. Um, I'm sure you're going to have, you know, resources available through this podcast um, reach out to a professional who can help, you know, connect you to the right people. Um, there are great support groups out there. You might be going through something that other people in the community are going through. Maybe we can connect you with one of those support groups. Um, but that connection is really key. Great. Yeah, just to add to those, those were great um, options and great suggestions. But one way that we can sort of prepare now um, to, to get things in place, I think really harping healthy coping mechanisms. Um, we all get anxious with change and lack of control. And that is what this whole pandemic has been. Nothing but change from day to day, week to week, um, things that we can't control. We're essentially right now controlled by what the government tells us we can and can't do, but focus on what you can control. That gives you comfort. Um, you know, control your diet, eat healthy, stay hydrated, exercise, not only exercise to keep yourself healthy, but to help your mental health. Focus on things that you really can control to reduce anxiety. 
And as far as um, where you can go to get help, I know uh, it can be it can get very complicated whether you have a certain kind of insurance. If you don't have insurance, do you have Medicare? Where, who takes what? I mean, it can become overwhelming. I think one of the best things that we have is NAMI, um, the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Go ahead and reach out at 1-800-950-NAMI. You can tell them what insurance you have or if you don't have insurance, and they can put you directly in contact with services to help you. Awesome. Guys, this is this has been quite an honor, especially after listening to, to all that you guys have to say. And so everybody, remember, if you find yourself struggling with mental health, do not be afraid to reach out for help. Um, as we've discussed today, your mental health is huge. It matters tremendously. Thank you guys for being here. Catherine and Taryn, you guys are awesome. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank, Thank you. you. It's fun. All right, guys. That's it. I'm out. But I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all in future episodes of South of Fine. Please come back. If you have questions about mental health and the COVID-19 pandemic that you'd like our providers to answer in a future episode, please email southoffine at righttrackmedical.com. And if you'd like more information about Right Track Medical Group or the South of Fine podcast, please visit righttrackmedical.com.